This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. You may have heard this past Monday about a tragedy averted in Quebec. A fire in a senior's residence in Trois-Pistoles forced 70 people out of the building, but everyone was okay. No one was injured. Compare this to nearly six years ago when the nursing home fire in Lille Verte, Quebec, led to the deaths of 32 people. It was soon after that a range of protective measures were put in place in Quebec to ensure this would never happen again. The main issue in the Lille Verte fire was the lack of automatic sprinklers and insufficient overnight staff at the residence, combined with firefighters improperly trained to respond in a timely manner. Two members of our Zoomer squad joined me to talk about the ongoing importance of fire safety in nursing homes, along with plans by CARP on priority issues for 2020. Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, was on the phone and in studio, David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media. Makes how important it is to be vigilant of these things because of the hue and cry last time. And the fact that this is a vulnerable population, not that any fire isn't, they're all dangerous, but particularly where you have elderly people who have mobility issues, may not be able to get get to safety quickly. The regulations they brought in obviously contributed in a positive way to uh, avoiding what could have been a huge tragedy. Seventy people, I think, in Trois-Pistol were were out on the street. Mm -hmm. Well, that's bad, but it's 70 fatality, potential fatalities that were averted. So I think it shows how important it is to to keep vigilant about these things and for governments Mm -hmm. to continue to uh, improve their their regulations. Mm -hmm. Marissa? First of all, anytime there's a story in a long-term care home where residents' lives are put at risk, it is tragic, um, and it's an important reminder that these things do happen, and we need to ensure that our homes across the country are equipped with proper proper safety equipment and protocols to minimize damage. Unfortunately, no one um, this time was injured, but that hasn't always been the case. When this happened a few years ago in Quebec... As you mentioned, several senior residents died, and it forced the province to introduce, you know, this regulation requiring mandatory automatic sprinklers in Quebec seniors' homes, not only in um, common areas, but also in suites. But still, though, even when provinces have done it, for example, Ontario, when Ontario made it mandatory, in fact, Ontario is the first province that made automatic sprinkler systems mandatory, Still, today, dozens of homes from Windsor to Sault Ste. Marie to Sudbury to all over the GTA still don't have them, um, let alone in common areas. So we have long fought for sprinklers in all suites and in all, all um, common areas. Um, and we know that it's a cost thing. And, and, and it, for whatever reason, it seems to be a bit of a barrier for some of these homes. But there needs to be inspections to make sure that these homes actually have them in place because it makes sense. They save lives, 
they protect property, they're a no-brainer. And still we know many homes across the country. Now, in, in the case in Quebec, I'm not sure, I assume there were sprinklers. People were able to get on, out on time. But it's not just ensuring that there are sprinkler systems in homes. I mean, there are a whole bunch of things that that homes ought to be doing from ensuring that there are more smoke detectors, fire alarms, evacuation plans, better safety training for staff. You know, consider when a resident is bedridden or has has less mobility and is frail, how do you move that resident uh, and potentially dozens more in a safe and in a timely way? Are staff trained to do this? Is there enough staff on hand to be able to move an entire floor out safely? So we need to look at safety standards that are national, because right now it's very patchwork. How important is CARP's advocacy? Is CARP the the biggest advocacy for older Canadians in the country? Far and away the biggest. Uh, Our membership uh, tops 300,000. It would be better if it topped 600,000. Oh, and so because to get they pay Im- attention sure. to numbers, you know. So to get involved, carp.ca. Carp.ca and keep your eyes on carp.ca. Uh, if not today, watch us early in the new year because we are going to be coming out with some very uh, startling uh, bad news, if you will, about the performance of our healthcare system. And we just think the time has come. And, you know, we talk to our members and we have these network of chapters across the country. They're very pumped about this because they're saying, finally, it's time to call the politics politicians to account. And it's very interesting. I'll just leave your listeners with this thought that when the provincial premiers had their meeting in Mississauga uh, last month, earlier this month, I guess, they all called for more money for health care. But the fact of the matter is we're already in the top, uh, I think we're fourth from the top or third from the top of all the OECD countries in spending on health care as a percentage of GDP. So, so we're, we're not getting the bang top. for our buck. So why are we getting worse? Why don't we, we might say we don't want what the United States has, but I'd like to have what France has or what yes. Germany. Why don't we deserve what Australia has? And once we get Canadians asking that question and let CARP be your voice, join CARP and let us be the megaphone, we will make them notice. And there's four provincial elections in the next two years. And maybe a government or two deserves to be defeated on this. And we're going to try our best. David Kravitz, Vice President at Zoomer Media, and Marissa Lennox, Chief Policy Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. This past holiday season, you may have done some or even all of your shopping online. We all love the convenience of getting what we want with a click of a mouse, but that convenience almost certainly comes with a risk to the privacy of your personal data. According to an IBM survey, 55% of Canadians are more concerned this year than last year about having their personal information compromised. And that could be in part due to the data compromises we seem to hear about on a regular or at least occasional basis. So how do we make ourselves less vulnerable to falling victim to cybercrime? While filling in for Libby's Nimer, I asked that question of IBM Canada security partner Ray Boisvert. It's a challenge, and I think the perception people have, Canadians particularly, um, is one of some anxiety. Um, there are lots of changes going on. There's lots of new opportunity, especially around the ease and the accessibility of, of e-commerce or electronic commerce or online shopping and so on. But, of course, the, um, with all these opportunities comes uh, a number of very measurable threats, and those measures are becoming increasingly clear. We, we know from our survey that you mentioned that 
about 35% of Canadians, and this is a pretty broad survey of over 2,000 adults in Canada, said that they themselves or something they know was hacked. So obviously that number is is high. It could possibly be even higher. It all depends how honest people are about these sort of things. Because sometimes there's a, an aspect of embarrassment, which we can right. come back to if that's of interest uh, to your listeners. But it comes down to this idea that right now, at least by one measure, it's uh, it's close to a trillion dollars uh, in terms of an industry, in terms of cybercrime. And it's being perpetrated by extremely well-organized cyber criminals. And that accounts for probably about 80% 80% of the actual cybercrime. So I feel um, the uh, same levels of concern that all Canadians do, but there are there are ways to, to manage those issues and to help mitigate those risks, and it starts off by these kinds of discussions and having some levels of awareness of the threat or the problem, and what can we do to help fix it? I would say that I'm now doing two-thirds to three-quarters of my Christmas holiday shopping online, and I don't know if that's typical or not. I'm thinking that that may be atypical, Ray. Uh, No, I think you're definitely in the trend. I know myself. I've done it uh, probably very close to that level of frequency. Uh, The the conveniences, there's a number of things that are very, very... uh, beneficial in doing that. The issue, of course, is that people are increasingly concerned about um, a number of things, the compromise of their credit card or their banking card. They're looking increasingly at this issue of uh, identity theft, where people perhaps uh, have known persons in their lives who suddenly uh, somebody comes calling or knocking and saying that they owe a large amount of money or they've acquired vehicles or trips or different things and uh, a lot of information resolves back to them in terms of full address date of birth and so on there's been a number of really high profile hacks as well that are breaches to personal data so canadians are placing a very high value on their privacy now more than ever and they're very much concerned around the idea that what you know what do governments do what do different agencies do what will the retail outlet or the the government agency that they're dealing with perhaps we do their license or things what are they doing to protect and there are a number of solutions and companies like ibm of course are, are leading the industry in a number of areas because we're applying such innovations as artificial intelligence to be able to resolve or to solve a lot of that high frequency high impact types of crime and we're doing that in ways that also involves um, uh, helping uh, a lot of companies and organizations strategize around how can we encourage innovation, encourage uh, a new kind of contact over, line, over, the, over the internet with our clients and our customers. And um, that is very achievable. But also, I think citizens or Canadians themselves have to learn some tips and tricks themselves to be able to better reduce the risks of exposure of their personal information. Ray, since you're the expert, anything that we haven't addressed when it comes to our, our data and our personal security that you'd like to leave us with? I'd like people to empower themselves. I'd like them to think that they're not, uh, they don't have to be a victim of this. Uh, there are a number of quick, easy reads and things to look at. We have lots of information on our IBM website as well. And to just be thoughtful about it and just to take a couple of simple precautions and uh, don't ever click a, an email attachment from somebody you don't know, because that'll lead to perhaps a phishing scam or perhaps somebody taking over your computer. And uh, use some of those best practices and always be skeptical. Always be skeptical of anybody who calls you or contacts you and never give up your personal information to anybody online. IBM Canada security partner Ray Boisvert.
We haven't just embarked on a new year, but a brand new decade. So it is a time of reflection and to think back on the decade that was and what was important to us or influenced us. Joining me this past Tuesday on our New Year's Eve show to talk about the trends of the tens, consumer expert Ellen Roseman. If there was one constant that I was writing about all the time, it was the cost of having a cell phone. You know, we're all buying them. Even many of your listeners have maybe not a smartphone, but they've got a phone. We can't live without our phones. And they're getting better. There's more features. We're taking better pictures. We're putting them on Instagram. All that stuff is great. But when it comes to the cost of owning a cell phone, your monthly plan, Canada pays more than most other countries. There's actually an article in the Toronto Star about that today. And even though we're paying less in Canada, the gap is still wide between what we're paying and what people are paying for their cell phones in other countries. Yes, and over the past 10 years, if you remember, Stephen Harper was trying to bring in more competition. We almost got an American company, Verizon, to come here, and at the last minute, they didn't. And we've lost some companies. We never have real competition because we've got, basically, in the cell phone market, four or five national providers, and that's it. And not all of them are in Ontario. In Ontario, we really just have Bell, uh, Rogers, and TELUS. So what do we do? During the last election, Justin Trudeau actually talked about getting a 25% cut in cell phone rates. But I don't know if that will happen. I mean, how can it happen if you've got these monopolies who are really good at lobbying? So I don't know what the solution is. But I think that in general, we should try and cut our costs as much as possible through the marketplace by going to some of the discount brands of the big providers. Banks. The big five, you say, are stronger than ever. And what maybe a lot of people don't realize that you've seen the ads on television for Tangerine. That's owned by Scotiabank. And PC Financial is now simply owned by CIBC. I bet a lot of people don't realize that. Yes, PC Financial kept their credit card operation because it ties in with their points. But the banking is simply. So these are not really independent competitors. They're owned by the bigger banks. And if you talk to Tangerine customers, they probably will will say that things have changed since Scotiabank took over. In particular, I remember that they used to have a tax-free savings account with no charges when you moved it, and now there's charges to leave. The big banks are very powerful. We have a love-hate relationship as Canadians with them. We distrust them. We feel that they're not offering us the best deal. We're really upset about nickel and diming service charges mm-hmm. of all kinds, like the TFSA exit fee. But on the other hand, we're a little nervous about leaving them because we're not sure about their new competitors whose names we might not recognize. How safe is our money? Will they go out of business? You know, we trust the big banks to be staying in business because if Royal Bank, which is the biggest, went out of business, probably the whole economy would be going under at the same time. So what banks do, we think of them as our friends. They're giving us recommendations in our best interest. CIBC, they have a show called Go Public. They did a hidden camera investigation in branches, and they found that a lot of people who go in for some specific product or service end up with something else added to it. They call that upselling, and it happens a lot. And they publicized this. I remember TD stock went down quite a bit on the first day, but then they realized that all the banks were doing it. And the bank staff complained quite loudly about it, saying that they felt that they could not get a promotion or sometimes even their job was in jeopardy unless they met a certain kind of sales quota. 
Right. So you have to be very cautious. And in the same way you negotiate with the cell phone companies, you can negotiate reduced service fees with your bank. Yes. Again, you say, how long have I been with you? It's even more pronounced with banks. We tend to stay with the same bank we've been with our whole life. It just seems like a pain to move. So ask them how long we've been there. Tell them that if we don't have all our business with them, we might move something over there, or we might get our kids to open an account of some kind, a mortgage or an RSP, and they're ready to give you a deal. Retailing. This is very interesting. We are losing department stores, you point out, and that is very true. There really is, when you think about department stores in Canada, really, it's just the bay. Yeah, we lost Sears a couple of years ago, and that was surprising, too, because it went down in Canada before the U.S., and they were selling extended warranties on their appliances and their electronics right up until the end, and people were not able to use those warranties. So I was recommending that people go to their credit card company and ask them to give them a pro-rata refund, and a lot of them did, because, you know, this was a purchase they couldn't use. But it just reminds us that many, many retailers are vulnerable because department stores are seen as too general and not in-depth, but even the specialty companies are going under. The latest one that I remember is Forever 21, which was all across Canada. Yes, and Target did not do well in Canada. I think that was uh, stillborn because the prices were never as good as in the U.S. and people didn't really like them. Right. But the Bay, the ownership is changing shortly. Yes, there's a stock market kind of competition to see who will end up buying it. And the Bay in general, has been losing money. You know, I like shopping there because you get great deals, but it's really hard sometimes to find anybody to take your money. And the service has never been their strong point. That's interesting. That's very true. Yeah, And they have been cutting back on the number of stores they have. Investing. And we mentioned about the big banks and having to push to make sure that you're not overly service charged. But if you're investing, and and a lot of people in the Zoomer age group have invested in mutual funds, that was really a big trend during the 10s. And during the 10s, the bank grew to be dominant mutual funds. There used to be more independent companies. Now the big five are the big five mutual fund providers. But they're expensive because you pay an annual fee for management and expenses that's in the neighborhood of 2 to 2.5% a year, and that really adds up over the long run. And they say it's because you're getting advice, but you're not always getting advice. Often you're just getting sales pressure. So we've seen a rise in lower cost products, especially exchange traded funds, which are much lower cost. We've had Vanguard Canada move in here and Vanguard is a low cost provider in the US and they forced all the Canadian ETF providers. So the cost of some of these ETFs is close to zero. And Questrade, which is a discount broker, we've seen those commercials. Yes. And uh, the commercials where they say, I can't afford to raise my daughter and pay you your yeah, fees. They're how, very how clever. They're clever, but how realistic is that? Are they really offering services with far less fees than some of the main investors? Well, Questrade is a discount broker which caters to do-it-yourself investors. So it's not realistic for most Canadians to do it yourself, though I do it and some people do, but I've had a background in investing. But they're also now doing something where they manage your whole portfolio online for a fee of less than 1% a year, which is cheaper than mutual funds. So Questrade has it. Wealth Simple is the best known one. They advertise like crazy. They've got money from Power Corporation. They're doing okay. And there's like 15 or so in the what they call robo-advisor field. But they're not really making inroads with the big banks because the big banks are really into wealth management. That's where they see their profit because it's a good fee for them. So they push that a lot. So it'll be interesting to see this year. And I think last year too, ETFs sold more than mutual funds. So they're growing, but the assets are still small. 
online fraud and class action lawsuits became quite prominent in the tens. Yeah, this is kind of the downside of the last 10 years. A surge lately, especially of robocalls and people calling us trying to tell us that we owe money to the government in taxes or that we our credit card's been involved with online fraud and we have to buy gift cards and be able to check, you know, I mean, that very strange stories. But they can just bombard us with the calls. And even if a tiny little percentage believes them, they can make a lot of money. So they're calling us all the time. It used to be only on our landline, but now they call our cell phones as well. So we always have to tell people, be really careful because there are so many sophisticated scams out there and never agree to anything unless you hang up and think about it or call the person involved. If it's your grandchild supposedly calling from Montreal yes. after they've been in a car accident. So just don't, don't be too trusting because those scammers are very convincing. They can be. We've talked about that a lot here on Fight Back and the class action lawsuits are related in a way because your data, your personal data gets hacked and somebody gets access to it. Yes. And the most recent one was Life Labs and your audience can all relate to that because you had to go online to get your individual results. There's now a class action lawsuit. Somebody asked, how do they join? Well, it's really, really early. It usually takes a couple of years for a class action lawsuit to to be certified to go ahead. But we've had a number of them. One of the best ones was DRAM, which is some kind of computer chip. It was a price-fixing class action. It was easy to get $20. You didn't even have to give a receipt. And they gave out $80 million to consumers in the form of a $20 check. And there was also a gas lawnmower price-fixing class action. And we're still waiting for the Loblaws right. red price-fixing, which is in the class action. But that could take quite a while for anything to come up. That. that was consumer expert Ellen Roseman with the trends of the tens. Fight Back with Libby's Nimer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Charlotte phoned from Toronto to explain that her first attempt at online shopping ended up with a different outcome than what she expected. I wanted to order something for the very first time online. I'd never done it before, so I followed the the rules, whatever, and I didn't know it was going through, and I got so confused I called directly, and they checked it and said Visa didn't allow it go through because they saw on my record I had never ordered online before. What I did was I got through directly and said, could you do it with me talking to you person to person? He said, sure, and he did it, it went through, and it was fine. Joan in Burlington phoned to say she's not one to make New Year's resolutions. A New Year's resolution, I haven't made one for years. I don't think it has impacted my lifestyle anyway. Even during Lent, I I gave up the idea of giving up something for Lent because, quite frankly, I didn't see the need for it anymore. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Mike in Muskoka whose life has been affected in various ways because of smoking. I just want to say I'm the other side of the coin. Five kids, both mother and father and grandma and grandpa, all smoked. None of those five kids ever smoked, never even tried it. You know, the number of times driving, say, up from Richmond Hill, where we originally lived, up in here into Muskoka, you know, every weekend to see grandma and grandpa and the smoke in the car and just the smell of it and the stench. 
none of us tried it. We were disgusted by it. I can remember my grandmother, you know, rolling her own cigarettes mm -hmm. and just the stink of it. But no, never tried it. All the five kids were athletes in high school and university, and not one of us tried it. And I think the age should be raised. Certainly a lot of kids that come up to this area in the summer, well, all the time, a lot of them are going to the different uh, First Nations places where they can buy cigarettes even cheaper. Sure. And is there the same, you know, inspection of, of identification in that? Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Mm -hmm. but, and finally, I just want to say 2004, my life changed when I was hit by a drunk driver. My independence was stripped from me. One minute I was in the car. The next thing I knew, I woke up in Sunnybrook uh, Trauma Center, airlifted down to Toronto. And I just want to say to anyone and everyone that's listening, before you get into a car tonight, if you've had even a sniff of alcohol, think about what you're doing. Because, you know, my independence was stripped from me. I was five years, like I had just had a laundry list of, of injuries traumatic brain injury just think about what you're doing before you get into that car thank you for calling in mike and that does it for today's best to fight back on zoomer radio if you'd like to qualify for the fight back knockout call of the week phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on zoomer radio am 740 and 96.7 fm in downtown toronto or if you have a comment, email us at fightbackzoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at FightbackLibby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Z Paddy, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.